0: would make you happy? Now don't say anything out loud, but think of what would really make you happy? It's interesting, Psychology Today did a survey of 52,000 Americans. That's a pretty large group. 52,000 Americans. What would make you happy? Number one answer, financial security. The second answer was more friends and a better social life. Third, a more fulfilling job. Fourth was to be in love. And the fifth was to be recognized and successful. Now I want you to notice of the top five things that people say would make them happy, all those are external situations. None of them are internal. They're external. And as I've mentioned, we're going to talk about the internal attitudes that Jesus emphasizes that are so important in Matthew chapter 5. This is a section of the Sermon on the Mount, which is a larger teaching But this particular section is called the Be Attitudes. These should be our attitudes. He, He says, hey, doesn't matter what's happening externally, you can find happiness and joy and fulfillment if you are looking through the right lens internally. I think it's amazing that Jesus even starts his teaching with basically the same question, what makes you happy? What's it gonna take to make you happy? Why does he start here? Because he knows that throughout the decades, throughout the centuries, throughout the cultures, people, for the most part, are looking for happiness in all the wrong places. Because we're looking outwardly to circumstances. Matthew chapter 5, I want to begin with reading verse 3 today. Now you have an outline, you'll get one of these uh, every week for the next eight weeks that has the text on it. It has fill in the blank for uh, each of these sermons. You can follow along. We will put it on the screen. We also will post the answers on our website. And then notice in the back, we've given you what we call a daily soap. Just like you use soap to cleanse your body, we want you to think of spiritual soap Every day I'd like you to spend a little bit of time on the beatitude of the week. So uh, SOAP really stands for read the scripture, observe the scripture, ask yourself, what is Jesus saying? Who is he saying it to? What's the context? The application is asking the Holy Spirit who lives within you to take that and apply it to you and then always end with a time of prayer. There's a scripture day one, day two, three, four, five, and then there's one meditation for the entire week. And you'll be getting an outline like this, no matter who's preaching, every single week as we look at this topic of watch your attitude. So let's read this section called the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. Why don't we stand for the reading of God's word today? I'm going to read out of a new international version. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the first beatitude, the one we're looking at today. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Heavenly Father, in the next half hour or so, I pray that your Spirit will be our teacher and that, Lord, that we will develop through spiritual disciplines the correct attitude about any given situation that we might be going through. Help us to develop as Christ followers these attitudes that will grant to us the blessedness and happiness and the satisfaction that we desire in Christ. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I don't know what translation you use. There's a lot of other translations that use the word happy instead of blessed. Happy. In fact, in today's English version, it says happy are those who know that they are spiritually poor or spiritually bankrupt, because it's only at that point that you will find the kingdom of heaven. Now, blessed simply means happy. It really does. The Greek word is uh, makarios. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. You can check with one of the the professors after, after class or after a service, but it's a Greek word, makarios. And it really means to be fully satisfied. Now think about that. To be blessed or to be happy means to be fully satisfied by Jesus. We sang it earlier. He is our hope alone. He is our only hope. It's in Jesus we find this satisfaction. It's not in money. It's not in relationships with other people. It's not in status. It's in Jesus that we can be fully satisfied. So he's saying, you will be blessed. You will be happy. You will be fully satisfied if you will develop these attitudes in your life. Now, he taught that because the disciples were just like us. (laughs) They were looking to find happiness through their time, through their talent, through their resources. They were looking at all the wrong places, like we often do, even as Christians. So here's the deal. Number one, my idea, your idea of happiness is generally having the right circumstances. You can fill the blank in there. My idea of happiness is having the right circumstances. It's what I might call the when and then thinking. Boy, when I get out of school, then I'll really be happy. Man, if I can just find a job, I'll be happy. You know, as soon as I can find that perfect spouse and get married, I'll be happy. Well, when we have kids, surely we'll be happy. Man, when those kids get out of the house, we'll be happy. You know, it goes on and on, and it's always, you know, then we'll be happy. The classic chapter on the search for happiness in the entire Bible is the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 2. Now, uh, Ecclesiastes 2.1, Solomon says, it's on your outline, I decided to enjoy myself and find out what happiness is. Now, if you want to save yourself a lot of time, go home and read Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and you'll find out that Solomon said, I tried it all. I tried everything to be satisfied, to find happiness, and all I found was, Were dead ends. He had the three things most of us spend our life trying to get. (laughs) He was the wealthiest. He had all kinds of pleasure, Solomon did. He was the most successful man of his time. Yet the bottom line, he said, it didn't satisfy me. It didn't make me happy. They were dead ends. In verses 7 and 8, we see that accumulating things is a dead end. It says, I bought many slaves. There were slaves born in my household. I owned more livestock than anyone else who had ever lived. I piled up silver and gold from the royal treasures. Men and women sang to entertain me. He goes on and on, and then he says, but bottom line, it was a dead end. It didn't satisfy. The thirst My very inner being. Man, how many times have you heard people say, man, if I could just get my house paid off. Man, if I can just win the lottery. Man, if if I can just do that or or that. I want you to know TV commercials lie to us. You cannot buy happiness. You can't. Ecclesiastes 2.10, anything I wanted I got. I didn't deny myself any pleasure. I was proud of everything I'd worked for, and all this was my reward. All meaningless. So it's not by accumulating things. It's not by experiencing pleasure. Experiencing pleasure. He says in chapter 2, verse 3, Driven on by my desire for wisdom, I decided to cheer myself up with wine. Have a good time. I thought maybe this would be the best way people can spend their short lives on earth. But it wasn't. Ecclesiastes 2.10, anything I wanted, basically he said I got. Didn't deny myself anything. But I didn't find that blessedness, that satisfaction, that happiness. So it's not in accumulating things or experiencing pleasure, it's not in achieving success. That's C. Achieving success, that's another dead end. Ecclesiastes 2, 4-6, to 6, out of the, uh, today's English version, I accomplished great things. I built myself houses, planted vineyards, I planted gardens and orchards with all sorts of fruit trees on them. I even dug ponds to irritate them. Not irritate, but irrigate. The next scripture, as you can see, is a repeat of the one before it, and that's my fault. I was the last one to proof this. I was the final say, and I said, it looks good, let's print it. Well, I should have looked a little bit closer. That second verse should be Ecclesiastes 2.9, okay? Right after Ecclesiastes 2.4-6, and the second one should be Ecclesiastes 2.9, and then Ecclesiastes 2.17. This is all these dead ends, he says. It's all meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. Now, this is our biblical example, but I bet you every one of us in this room have personal examples. Thinking that material things, relationships, achievements, awards, degrees, could somehow satisfy us. Friends, only Jesus can satisfy you. And you need to have the attitude Jesus did. And I know that's tough. It's going to get tougher because we read the whole thing. Most of us don't think being persecuted is something that would be blessed. So we have to shift the way that we view things. God's way to happiness is having the right attitude. Seeing things through the eyes of Jesus. Seeing the world through a biblical world viewpoint, not a world viewpoint. Looking at the scriptures. See, Matthew 5, we have the opening lines of Jesus' famous sermon on the mount. And there's eight of them here. They're positive statements. All of them are. About happiness, we call them the Beatitudes. We're calling them attitudes for the sake of our study. But of all the subjects Jesus could have chosen to speak about when he spoke on how to be happy, it's interesting that he spoke on just the lens that we look through. Because, friends, how you see is what you see. How you see is what you see. Even in suffering and tribulation, if you see that as an opportunity to draw closer to the sufferings of Christ, to be refined, you'll view that a lot differently than if you see it as a punishment from God or or something that is, is an irritant that you need to get rid of. Let me say it again. How you see, the lens you look through is what you're going to see. That's why Jesus says, man, if you want to be happy, you've got to have the right attitude. If you want to be blessed, you have to have the attitude that Jesus taught us. To be happy. And as we work our way through these attitudes that make us happy, make us fully satisfied in Jesus, we're going to find some things that will be very puzzling, almost like they're, they're in opposition to each other. Like how can we be happy if we're sad? How can we be happy if we're poor? How can we be happy if we're put down and persecuted? And you know, that doesn't sound like happiness, does it? But what Jesus was saying is you and I can learn how to be happy to be full of satisfied to be content in spite of our circumstances. There's a lot of things in life we cannot control. But as John Maxwell says, your attitude will dictate your altitude. Your attitude will dictate your altitude if you want to have all your problems solved before you come happy you'll never be happy because there's always going to be challenges we live in a sinful world we understand that if you have to have everything perfect in your life before you're happy you'll never be happy there's always going to be more dust on the counters there's always going to be something out of place you know what i mean Jesus said, and I want us to learn that happiness is not dependent upon the right circumstances. It is dependent upon the right attitudes. Now, here's another fill in the blank if you're taking notes. My happiness is not determined by what's happening around me, but what's happening in me. That's what you and I need to be concerned about. It's not what we're going through, (laughs) But how we're responding to it. It's not what Jesus did when he said, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. I'll accept your will as the best. It's all about attitude. Point number three today Jesus taught the first step to happiness is to be humble. To be humble. And that is the attitude that we're going to focus in on this week. The attitude of humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They're the ones that realize that they need Jesus. They realize they need each other. Blessed are the spiritual bankrupt. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, poor in spirit, what does that mean? He's not talking about low self-esteem here. He's not talking about putting yourself down all the time. And that's not humility. Because, friends, you have value. You have value. You have worth. You have significance. You have the very image of God in your soul. You created in his image. I don't care if you're unemployed. I don't care if you're homeless right now. Doesn't matter. You have value. You have significance. You're so valuable that God sent his only son, Jesus, to die for your sins that you might be reconciled to God. Now that doesn't mean you're perfect. None of us are perfect. Romans tells us that. We don't really need the Bible to tell us that, but it does. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no perfect person, no perfect school teacher, no perfect anything. But he's not saying here to be poor in spirit means that you run around putting yourself down all the time. Yeah. Oh, I'm just such a wretch. I'm so lousy. I can never do anything right. You know that martyr syndrome? Oh, I'm just so wicked. I'm, I'm so bad. That is not what poor in spirit means. To be poor in spirit means to be humble enough that you depend solely upon God. It's talking about humility. It's talking about spiritual poverty. That's the attitude, humility, admitting, hey, I do not have it all together. I haven't arrived. I realize that I haven't learned it all, but I'm not the sum total of the universe. <laughs> I'm not perfect. I am dependent upon God. Now, the opposite of poor in spirit is to be arrogant. You know, to have a, to have a big ego, to think, oh, well, I, I don't need anyone else. I, I don't need God. I've got this under control. I'm a self-made person. I've said this so often, but, you know, 36 years ago when I became the pastor, my favorite verse was, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And nothing wrong with that verse, but the emphasis is on me. I can do it. I can do all things. 36 years later, I've changed my life verse. Now it's without him, I can do nothing. Without him. I can do nothing. Totally dependent, spiritually bankrupt. Man, if we are full of pride and arrogance and and ego, we're never going to be happy. I love the good news translation of this verse. Happy are those who know they are spiritually poor. That's humility. Until you admit that you need a Savior, there's no salvation for you. You have to admit you're a sinner, right? And that you need a savior. But it's not just in our salvation. It's in our walk with Jesus. What we call our sanctification. As we become more and more like Jesus because of the bumps in the road, the pains, the disappointments, the sufferings. If we have the right attitude. We know what Romans 8.28 says, all things will work together for good. If we love God and trust him, but Romans 8:29 is really really the valuable part of that passage because it says and in all things you are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So when you're going through suffering, when your prayers aren't answered the way you think they should be. When you're sick. When you're in the desert emotionally. Spiritually, <laughs> if you can put on the lens of humility and say, I don't understand it, but I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to trust God. And through this experience, I am being conformed to the image of Jesus. See, it changes everything if we can do that. The poor in spirit know they don't have it all together. They know their need of God. That's why the Living Bible, not the the New Living Translation, but the original Living Bible says, Happy are the humble. I love that. Happy are the humble. Because I think that really gets to the point of what Jesus is saying about blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. It's all about humility. So the point Jesus is starting off with, the point that we're starting this series is humble and happy go together. Now you can remember that, right? You want to be happy? Be humble. They go together. They're they're twin soulmates. If you friends want to have lasting happiness, you have to learn how to be humble, to recognize your need and your reliance upon God. Okay, real quick here, how, how does humility increase my happiness? It's a good question. Well, first of all, being humble will reduce your stress level. It will. <laughs> because when I'm humble, I don't have to have all the answers. If I have the pressure of thinking I have to have all the answers, that creates some stress. When I realize that the world does not depend upon me, Man, you know, it's kind of a nice thing to just resign as the general manager of the universe, you know. And, and not worry that I've got to figure out what's happening in Washington, D.C. or Olympia or whatever. When I'm humble, I don't have to solve everybody else's problems. And when I'm humble, I don't have to fake it. I don't have to pretend I'm perfect because God does not demand perfection in order to be happy your righteousness is found in christ jesus we understand that but we're still working out our salvation i'm glad i don't have to play god and assume responsibility for for what's not mine there's a lot less stress when i pray for somebody for divine healing If I remember, Jerry, this has nothing to do with your prayer. You're not responsible for this person's divine healing. And I think, oh, what happens if they're not healed? And then pretty soon I feel all this stress. But when I realize, you know, (laughs) the outcome belongs to Jesus. He's not asking me to do anything but be obedient and pray. So it's a lot less stress. You get out the oil, you anoint them, you pray that Jesus will heal them, but you leave the results to him. That's what I'm saying. Being humble actually helps your stress level. When you become a humble person, when you walk in dependence upon the Lord, it'll reduce the stress in your life. And as the stress goes down, guess what? Happiness goes up. Another thing being humble will do, it'll improve your relationships. Now, let me just ask you a question to kind of support this point. How many of you like to be around people with real big heads and big egos? Yeah. Most of us don't. I mean, prideful people that always have a story that's going to up yours. You know, prideful people that can only talk about themselves. And they're a pain in the neck and other parts of the anatomy. It just, you know, selfish, I probably shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Selfish, self-centered people can be an irritation. Doesn't mean that we don't love them. Doesn't mean that there's not God's image in them. But nobody likes to be around people that all they do is they're just all about them. They wreck relationships. You know, they're unhappy. That's why they have to build themselves up. And they make everybody else unhappy in the meantime, spreading their gloom and doom just with all their egotism. On the other hand, isn't it great to be around people who just are ordinary, common, humble people? Those who really don't think that they are so hot even though maybe they are, (laughs) but they're not trying to impress you. I love to be around people when I tell a story, I, I, I don't expect them to have a better story. You know, that competitive thing. It's just nice for someone to say, you know, that was really great. Praise the Lord. I'm glad he met your need. You know, and rejoice with me. When you're humble, friends, you get along better with people, and people will get along better with you. Now, humility, here's a definition. Write write it down. It's, It's a fill in the blank here. Humility doesn't mean you think less of yourself. You just think more about others. Yeah. Again, it's not trying to degrade yourself. It's just that you're thinking about others. That's why Jesus said in one of his parables, you know, don't take the best The best seat at the dinner table? Because that could be reserved for somebody else. Yeah, you don't have to be the first in the potluck line. Somebody else go first. You don't have to be the one that takes a parking place closest to the building so you don't have to walk so far. Just those little things. It doesn't mean you think less of yourselves, you just think more about others and when you become interested in other people you become interesting to other people when you become interested in others asking them about their own spiritual journey ask them about their background ask them about their grandkids when you become interested in them (laughs) then that's going to attract them and you become interesting to them. You'll have better relationships when you're a humble person. It's easier for you when you're humble to say those really too hard words I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're humble, it's a lot easier. Or the three hardest words I was wrong. I was wrong. Or even the words I need help. Man, coming up sometime this week is the feast day of St. Francis of Assisi, and uh, man, I read something about St. Francis several weeks ago that really touched my heart. He was such a a great man of God, such a great saint, but he knew he needed to work on humility. And in his memoirs that St. Francis wrote, he said it was his practice— Anytime someone praised him, in order for him to stay humble, he would seek out a fellow monk. He would set them down and ask that monk to tell him the faults that they saw in his life. He did that on purpose to balance it out, keep his ego in check. Because, friends, when you are full of pride and full of yourself, you bruise really easily. <laughs> you become very sensitive to other people's comments. When you're pumped up, when you're trying to impress people and someone says something that really shouldn't bother you, it hurts. It's kind of like sticking a pin in a balloon. On the other hand, I've discovered, and I'm sure you have too, when you walk humbly before the Lord and just being who God made you, being honest and depending totally upon God, you're almost immune to insults. That's right. <laughs> almost nothing can hurt you. And walking before the Lord with the attitude that, hey, maybe they're right. <laughs> they may be wrong. I don't know. I'm just trying to please God. And at the end of the day, that's who you want to have smiling when you put your head on the pillow. It's not your fellow man. It's it's Jesus that's smiling. I remember Oral Roberts always teaching us, no matter what the criticism is, you should take it, process it, pray about it, because there's always a nugget of truth in every criticism. So if you can get past the person, the messenger, and say, "Lord, what is it you're trying to tell me? Be humble. So James teaches us, James 4, "Humble be yourself before the Lord, and He will exalt you. He will lift you up. Being humble also this is my third point here -- is it will release God's power in your life. I like that. James 4, 6 in the Living Bible, God gives strength to the humble, and he sets himself up against the proud. So do you want strength from God, or do you want to be have yourself set up against him? Oh. I want God's strength. How do I get God's strength? According to James 4, 6, I need to humble myself before the Lord. We all need God's strength every day. And the Bible says the the secret to spiritual strength is to walk humbly before the Lord. To realize that you depend upon him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I put a verse in here by one of my favorite Versions of the Bible, J.B. Phillips. J.B. Phillips is from the United Kingdom. Just love his, uh, his New Testament rendition. In Matthew 5, 3, J.B. Phillips says, Happy are those who know their need for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Friends, in a nutshell, that attitude is humility. Who know their need for God. You can't draw your next breath without God's help. You have no control over it. Your your life is a gift from God. That means that all that God has to offer is available to those people who will walk humbly before the Lord. And all that God has to offer, according to this word, is yours but only if you live in total dependency upon God. Every one of us needs Jesus in our life. And we need Jesus' power. Man, to make it through next, I need Jesus to help me say no to temptation. I need Jesus to help me do those works of righteousness that I would rather not do. As that old song says, (laughs) I can't even walk without holding his hand. You know? God is waiting to pour his power on us. The spiritual gifts are available to us. When you need to make a decision and you're not sure what to do, the Holy Spirit can give you that spirit of discernment or that spirit of knowledge. or Those spiritual gifts that we talk about as Pentecostals, that is part of the power of God, and it's only available as we humble ourselves. Friends, I don't want to sound cold, but if you don't think you need God in your life this week, good luck. I mean, I'm just telling you, you need God. And a secret to God's power is this beatitude of being poor in spirit and learning humility. When you walk before the Lord... And say, Lord, apart from you, I can do nothing. When you have that attitude of total dependence, of complete humility, Jesus will give you the supernatural power to work on your problems. The ones you can't change. To work on those areas of your life that you can't get control of. To strengthen those relationships that are falling apart. That's what it means to be poor in spirit to be humble, again our attitude of the week blessed happy full of satisfied are the poor in spirit, the humble for theirs is the kingdom of God that's the teaching today here's the challenge, I put it in your outline, last verse John 13 17 now that you know the truth how happy you'll be if you put it into practice. That's the bottom line. So before you leave, before we sing this last course, I just want you to ask yourself a question. Where is it that you need to practice humility this week in your life? Why don't you bow your head Close your eyes. Where is it that you need to practice humility this week? Is it in your marriage? In your family? On the job? With family members? With your neighbor that you have just been trying to prove yourself right for so many weeks? (laughs) Where do you need to depend upon God more this week? Where do you need God's power in your life? That power is available if we'll humble ourselves. If we become poor in spirit. The person who says help is the humble person. And the person who's humble, God will look down and say, the kingdom of heaven is yours. There's nothing I won't do for you. Lord, thank you for an opportunity we have the next two months to dig deep into your teaching on attitudes. And this week, Lord, we've learned that humility will lead to happiness. I pray that your spirit will help each of us as we read the verse of the day as we observe and apply and pray as we meditate upon this character quality I pray that you'll help each of us Lord to be more like you who left the power and the glory of heaven and you humbled yourself even to death on a cross. Let us be like you, Jesus, and walk in humility this week, in your wonderful name, amen.